O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. As we come into the presence of God, we are reminded that we are broken, that we are sinful. And oftentimes the way that that works itself out in our lives is that we live our lives with a bent towards self. A bent toward thinking about self above everything else. A bent toward thinking about self above thinking about others. Which means that we struggle with loving God and loving our neighbor. And so we come and we confess that struggle. We confess that sin And we see that God meets us in His grace. And He works into us to love Him and to love our neighbor and to love the place that He's put us. And at the same time, see that our God is gracious and that He meets us through the blood of Jesus. Good morning. It's good to be with you again. And like always, look forward to the day when you return here and we are able to celebrate worship together and celebrate our risen king together and celebrate the supper together. We look forward to that day. So for now, uh, we're going to look this morning at the book of Acts and continue our study through the entire Bible together. So as you might have noticed, we are spending a little bit more time in the books of Genesis, which we did at the first of the year, in Acts, which we're doing right now, and we will end the year with about four or five sermons in the book of Revelation. And so we're looking at this book together, the book of Acts, which is really the hinge between uh, what's going on in the New Testament from the Gospels to the rest of the New Testament. So to understand the book of Acts is really to understand the deep connection between the four gospel accounts of Jesus' life and the significance and power and implications of his life and death and resurrection uh, in the rest of the New Testament. Acts bridges that gap. So this morning we're going to look at another uh, encouraging story that we see uh, recorded in 10 and 11. So if you want to read both of those chapters, that would be great. If you're happy, if you have your copy of the scriptures with you, you might want to keep your uh, copy open because I'm going to refer to different verses in both chapters. And what I'm going to read for you this morning is Peter's summary of what happens in these two chapters. So we're just going to read this together. So listen to this. It's God's Word. Uh, This is Peter making a report to his audience, to us, about what went on when he encountered Cornelius and what God was doing through Peter's life, his own life, and through the life of Cornelius and what he was doing in both of their lives together. So listen to this. This is a summary of chapters 10 and 11. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. You see, he's telling them, here's what happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me, 
Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at the very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Sincrea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ... Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. Uh, We will never, ever exhaust your word. But we thank you that you give us times to gather together, to worship you, to confess, to acknowledge our brokenness, to hear your forgiveness, to acknowledge what we believe. We gather to live out this amazing four-part story. So we ask that you would teach us afresh about what it means to be made in your image, what it means to understand rebellion, what it means to understand redemption, what it means to live in light of the restoration that is happening and that will be finalized one day. Lord, work into us your grace. Draw us to Christ. Help us to see him. We pray this Holy Spirit because we are absolutely dependent upon you. And may we have a fresh sense of that even as we look at this story. For your glory, I pray. Amen. This morning, we're looking at a story of two men that become friends. And that should make us think about something just for a moment. Uh, Think about your friends. Think about your closest friend or your closest friends. And if you feel as though you're in a very lonely spot right now, think about what it would be like and what you're longing for in a close relationship with someone else. Think about what it would be like to have a close friend and then realize you probably have that somewhere, or there's someone close to you that you can go deeper with. So think about your close friend for a moment. Think about the things that you've done together, lived together. I have one of my closest friends I met uh, first day of seminary at commencement. He and I showed up with all these other incoming students and older students that were second, third, and fourth year, and we were the youngest enrollees, we were the youngest students by far, at least 15 years. 
And we went, we hit it off immediately. If for no other reason, we recognized how young we were compared to everybody else. And we made it through Greek. We made it through Hebrew. Made it through seminary. We experienced moving from being single to being married, having kids. We have experienced together and lived life through our first jobs and the jobs we have now, uh, through death, through discomfort, through joy, through difficulty. Um, this particular friend of mine, his wife just had surgery for cancer two days ago. We've lived through these things together. And what we learn about in these chapters, Acts chapter 10 and 11, is about how God brings these two people together. And the reality is, is that just experiencing life together doesn't make a good friendship. We need the gospel in order to make good friendships. So here's the point this morning that I'd love for you to take in and consider and think about. It's this, we never graduate from the gospel. We never graduate from the gospel. So I want us to look first of all at Cornelius and Peter. We never graduate from the gospel. So let's think about and look together at Cornelius and Peter. Here's a little bit about Cornelius. You can read this in the first few verses of chapter 10, and there's some other phrases in these two chapters that help us understand who he was. Cornelius was a commander of uh, a Roman cohort that was situated and stationed in Caesarea. He was in charge over probably around 100 men, perhaps even more than that. He is described as someone who is a God-fearing man, which in the first century meant that he was a non-Jew, he was a Gentile. It also meant that he was someone that understood the Ten Commandments and followed the Ten Commandments. A God-fearing man was also someone that was moral, who cared about his morality. We would say that this was someone who was a good guy, who cared about the way that he lived and thought about the way he lived. That also says that he was someone who gave gifts to others. So he was a generous person and he was known for that. Around verse 22 of chapter 10, it even says that he had a great reputation it also tells us something else about Cornelius. He was someone who was a prayer. He prayed. He was someone who talked to God. He got outside of himself and realized he needed something beyond who he was. But all this is also telling us something. Cornelius needed something. He just didn't know what it was. So he ended up sending for a man named Peter who lived in Joppa, which from Caesarea was about 30 miles, a little bit over 30 miles. So he sent a delegation down to Joppa to try to find Peter who was staying at Simon's house. And he knew that he needed something. He just didn't know what it was. Well, Peter is a very familiar figure for us. We've spent some time in the last few years thinking a lot about Peter. 
We probably are very familiar with him just as a person. You know, Peter, Peter was that guy who was incredibly impulsive. Peter, Peter thought an awful lot about what others said and thought about him and not so much about what God said about him. It was easier for him to live his life on a daily basis based on what others thought rather than what God said and what God thought of him. Sound familiar? He was very impulsive. He reacted a lot to life and reacted a lot to things that happened. You might remember this phrase that we've thought about together. Peter was always looking for a bloodless path to glory. He was always wanting to find the easy way. He was, he was thinking about comfort. Peter was the kind of person that lived his life thinking, I have arrived. And what I mean by that is, is not that he was going around telling everybody the answers all the time. He just kind of lived his life thinking that, well, this area of my life, that area of my life, there's portions of my life where I've got it. I've got it. I got it. I've arrived. Peter needed something. The story tells us that Peter needed something. He just didn't know it. Well, Cornelius and Peter actually connected. You're wondering, well, how in the world did that happen? And I'm glad you asked. Here's what happened. The Holy Spirit was moving. If you read these chapters, you'll find that there were angels involved and the Spirit himself. And they were functioning as a cohort to bring Cornelius and his house and his friends together with Peter and some of his friends. God, the Holy Spirit, was working to bring these two people and those associated with them together. And the Holy Spirit did that through a dream, a vision. You see, Cornelius was at his house one day. And he received a vision. And in that vision, he was told, you need to go find Peter. He knew he needed something. And the angel came to him and said, your requests have been heard. The fact that you know there's something more has been heard. And you need to go find Peter. So Cornelius, as a result of the spirit moving in that dream, sent a delegation to Joppa to find Peter. Well, Peter was in Joppa. And it was the time of day in which he was preparing to eat. He was hungry. He was planning to pray. He was planning to eat. And all of a sudden, he had a dream. He had a vision. And actually, that vision, that dream, was a dream about food. He described it for us here that we read, that it was like this sheet came down. There were all kinds of animals. And, and it was through that dream that God said to him, don't call common what is clean. In other words, God is saying, Peter, 
You have set up a barrier that I have not set up. You should consider all things clean. You should not consider anything common or unclean that I have said is clean and safe and good and appropriate. Well, Peter, that actually had to happen to Peter three times. It was a repetitious dream. He heard that message three times, and he awoke from that dream, and the text tells us that he was thinking about what in the world does this mean? And at that moment, the delegation that traveled 33 miles from Caesarea, from Cornelius's house, shows up. And it was as if Peter woke up from the dream, was thinking about what was going on, and the doorbell rings. And the men from Caesarea, from Cornelius's house, said, is Peter here? Does Peter live here? And Peter said, yes, I'm here. And they spent the rest of the day together. They spent the evening together. And the next day, Peter went with those men back to Cornelius's house. So these men connected. Their lives intersected through the work of the Holy Spirit using dreams. But they were also connected in a deeper way. They both needed the gospel. They both needed the gospel. Let's think about Cornelius. Let's think about what the story tells us about Cornelius. Remember, he was a God-fearing man. He was someone who gave generously to those who had need. He used his resources. He was known for this. He had a great reputation. He was a, many would call him a good guy. But he needed the gospel. You remember the story that we've talked about many times that's had such a profound impact on my own life. The story in the New Testament about the father that had two sons. You remember the one son, the younger son, that took everything of his inheritance from his father and then he went out to live his life breaking all the rules. He thought to himself, you know, I want the resources from my father, from my inheritance, and then I'm going to satisfy every desire that I have. And by breaking every rule and satisfying every desire and impulse that I have, I will figure out how to make something of my life. I will figure out how to be somebody. I will recreate who I am, create who I am, and be the person that I think I should be. And you know where that left him. It left him realizing that you can try all kinds of things and try all and try to satisfy all your desires and realize, well, that didn't work. I still feel empty. He realized that in satisfying every desire, that wasn't enough. There was something more that he needed. Something more. So to live our life breaking the rules just ends up helping us realize through lots of experiences that just satisfying every desire doesn't really work. Doesn't make us feel whole. Doesn't bring peace. Just makes us realize, man, I'm empty. I need something beyond me. The older brother, you might remember, lived his life in a very different way. 
Instead of breaking all the rules, the older brother decided, I'm going to keep all the rules. So he followed everything. He did everything he was supposed to do. He obeyed. He followed. He listened. He did everything right. And at the end of the day, what that resulted in his life is that he had a profound, critical spirit. He was always looking down at other people. He was always looking at others and comparing himself, thinking, I'm better, better than my brother, better than my dad, wouldn't do things the way he did. He had this critical spirit that left him as well, profoundly empty, self-centered, critical, He was even energized by always judging other people and finding fault with other people. See, Cornelius was this older brother. You see, the gospel and the message of Jesus and what Jesus has done is not only for all of our badness. We, we need Jesus not only because we break all the rules, not only because we try to live satisfying every desire and living for self by breaking the rules. We need Jesus for all of our goodness. We need Jesus for all of the ways that we have obeyed and followed and kept all the rules because that was the way that we were finding our identity, making ourselves better than other people, and avoiding Jesus. We need Jesus not only from, for our badness, but also for our good things. When was the last time You took all of the good things that you think you have and all the good things that you think you've done and all of the good positions that you think you hold and submitted them to God in the same way that hopefully you take all of your badness to God to find forgiveness, to find restoration. Cornelius needed Jesus because the message of the gospel is that we need Jesus for everything about us. You see, the message of the gospel is not touch-up paint. We don't need Jesus just to touch up little things in our lives. Jesus is not a new filter by which he like, you know, minimizes all of our blemishes and provides proper light to the good features of our lives. He's not a, he's not a filter for our soul. Jesus is life and he transforms everything about us when we break the rules and when we keep them. He gives us everything. Cornelius needed Jesus. He didn't have him. He needed the gospel. And so did Peter. You see, when Peter showed up at Cornelius's house, it's fascinating. He shows up at Cornelius's house and Cornelius is like, we are here to hear what you have to say, Peter. Peter. 
We are all present. Everyone that I hoped would be here is here present, is here, Peter. We're here at my place. Please tell us what you have to say. Give us the message from God. And Peter began to explain to them the gospel. And what started happening is, if you read the last part of chapter 10, what you find is that the Holy Spirit falls on them as Peter was explaining the gospel. And what happens is they begin speaking in tongues and they begin to praise God. They're declaring the mighty works of God. They're understanding what, is, what Peter is saying and what it means for their own lives. That they need something more than to just be moral. And Peter makes the connection. He gets it. Peter recognizes that as Cornelius and his household and his fa- and others uh, friends that are with him, as they begin to speak the gospel themselves, speaking in tongues, and as they begin to declare and praise God, speaking the wonderful works of God, what Peter recognizes is, oh, this is what's happening. This is a connection back to what happened in Jerusalem when we were all waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. The same thing that happened in Jerusalem, which we looked at in Acts 2, is happening here with Cornelius and his friends and his household. They were all Gentiles. They were all non-Jews. And Peter recognizes, oh, this is the mission of God. This is God continuing to further his plan in the world. That the message of the gospel is not just for Jews. It's for non-Jews. It's for people like us. And Peter recognizes that. And he connects what is happening in Caesarea with the mission of God. And what is happening with people who are non-Jews, who are Gentiles, with the gospel. And hear me, this is not political for Peter, and it shouldn't be political for us. This was deeply personal that he understood this and came to grips with this. It was personal. Look at what he says. Let me explain this. Look at the text around verse 28, I think. Peter enters into Cornelius' house. And he says, I've never done this before. I've never been in a place like this before. I've never been in a house that was owned by someone who wasn't a Jew. I have never associated and developed a friendship with someone who isn't a Jew. But the dream came to me. And God told me that I shouldn't consider unclean those that God has determined are clean. And so I recognized I needed to follow and I needed to be here. Do you see what's going on? Peter needed the gospel too. He felt as though he was superior to non-Jews. And he thought the way that he was living his life was absolutely correct and right and good and following God's mission. 
and following what God wanted. Peter thought that he was superior and it wasn't because he would verbalize his superiority. It was the way that he was living his life. He was guarding who he was living his life with. He was watching very closely who he was living with, who he was doing life with, who he was becoming friends with. And he realized that he was wrong. And he realized that he had put up a barrier just by living his life, not by verbalizing anything, not by verbalizing his superiority, but just by living the way he had always lived. And God was changing him with the gospel. Friends, think about this. If in your heart... You think that you are superior to other people. The Holy Spirit will not let you continue to cling to that. In your heart, if you really think that you are better than other people, and your life shows that you feel that you are superior to others, God, through the Holy Spirit, will not allow that to continue. Really, don't dismiss this too quickly. Think about it. Think about this. Do other people, do other people have to have a certain level of education before you will respect them? Do other people have to make a certain amount of money before you will respect them? Are there people that have to have a certain work ethic before you will respect them? Are there people that have to have certain values before you respect them? Friends, Jesus never looked at any of us through that grid because none of our values matched up with his. None of our resources matched up. None of our education matched up. None of our work ethic matched up to his. Peter had to have the gospel go deeper into his life. And it was the subtle things. It was what was deep down that needed to be affected. And that brings us to the second point. We're looking at Cornelius and Peter. And now, secondly, the centrality of Jesus. This whole story is telling us the centrality of Jesus. If you look at chapter 10, verses 34 through 43, you get a, a record of Peter's message to Cornelius and his house. And you know how he starts out? 
Do you know how Peter begins to tell Cornelius the good news? He starts off by telling Cornelius the good news that he needs to hear as first worked in his life. Listen to this. This is what he says. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. He had just learned that lesson. It was in the dream. He went to Caesarea, and it was in his face And he had to make the connection between the way he was living and what God was doing. And he started off his message by saying, I am in your presence. I'm the person who's never been in a Gentile house before. Truly, God shows no partiality. He had been changed. And he started with that. And then he went to talk about how Jesus had come how he had been baptized, how he had been anointed, how he went around doing good things, healing and providing for those who were oppressed by our greatest enemy, Satan. How he proclaimed life in God. How he died on a tree, which was Peter's way of saying he became a curse. Because that's how the Old Testament talks about that kind of death. And that this Jesus, who was cursed, was crucified and resurrected. And now he's reigning. And he's given us to be witnesses. To make this a little sharper, what he is telling Cornelius is this. God came. God suffered. God died. God defeated death. Isn't that amazing? What he's telling Cornelius is that Jesus, being God, determined that he was going to take on human form and he was going to become a servant. And he was going to be obedient even to the death, even on a cross. Jesus came to earth to disadvantage himself in order to advantage us, people like you and me. The centrality of Jesus is everywhere. Cornelius needed Jesus and the gospel, and Peter needed Jesus and the gospel. Cornelius needed it to come to, to begin his walk with God, to come to faith in Christ and start his walk with God, to begin being a follower of Jesus. And Peter needed the gospel to continue to grow. He couldn't grow without the gospel. We never graduate from the gospel. The centrality of Jesus was not only in Peter's message, and it not only applied to Cornelius and coming to faith in Christ, but also Peter in growing in his walk with Christ. The centrality of Christ is also seen in the dreams. Beloved, dreams are not the way that God gives private messages to us. 
Dreams are not the way in which God gives us private messages that we then receive and hold on to as a way in which we claim authority over other people and that that dream from God then becomes the way that we tell others and show others that we are more connected to God and are more mature and more knowledgeable than other people. These dreams were the way that God was connecting the universal message of the gospel and the work of Jesus into Cornelius and into Peter that resulted in them repenting and believing so that they were caught up into the universal message that God has for the world. It made them just like everyone else who needed Jesus. And it, the point is that this is how they got into Jesus. And it's the centrality of Jesus also in the work of the Spirit. Isn't it amazing that God the Holy Spirit was intimately involved in Cornelius' life and Peter's life they were living 33 miles apart and the Holy Spirit could have acted directly and immediately to change Cornelius in that moment or to change Peter in that moment. And what the Holy Spirit decided to do was to bring them together. Cornelius needed a pastor and Peter needed Cornelius to understand the gospel so that the Holy Spirit works through relationships to get the gospel deeper into us. Amazing. Amazing. Beloved, this whole passage is really about God's mission. The mission that he has had from the beginning, from Genesis 1, to spread the earth with his glory, to have peoples from every tongue and tribe and nation, from everywhere, God wants his glory spread and he wants his people to love him, to love others and to love the place where he has put us. And that has not changed and it didn't begin at rebellion. This is God's mission that he has been working out throughout history and just like Peter, we have to be reminded of that over and over and over. And just like Cornelius, we need to be caught up into that over and over and over. And the way that we do that, the way that we are caught up into God's mission is for us to recognize by grace that we never graduate from the gospel. So this week, I would ask you, very specifically, would you be intentional about thinking about the gospel every day? When you're parenting, would you think about the gospel? When you're working in your relationships, would you think about the gospel? In your marriage, would you think about the gospel this week and how you can repent and believe together? At work, would you think about the gospel and how you can show Jesus? Whatever boards, whatever 
other positions you have, places where you are coming in contact with other people, would you think about the gospel and how you can bring the gospel into those moments, into those meetings, into those plans? Would you think about the gospel this week in everything that you're doing? Because I don't know about you, but right now I feel like my life, the only stable thing in my life is God. So would you help me think about the gospel this week too? Because we never graduate from it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being willing to be patient with people like us who are slow to understand that our goodness needs you, that are slow to understand in how many ways we feel like we've arrived and we've really just begun. Holy Spirit, help us to think about the gospel this week and everything that we are doing. Help us to live out this message knowing that you are at work in everything that will happen this week. Again, we pray all for your glory. For your glory. Amen. Beloved, God is determined to bless you because of Jesus. It's true. God wants you to become more like Christ. So hear this blessing and try to live as, you, as if you actually believe it's true as we are living out the gospel together. The Lord your God is going to bless you and he is also going to keep you. This week his smile is upon you and he is going to be gracious to you. And in the age to come forever and ever his presence is with you and he is with you now. And one day he is going to bring peace. They will bring shalom. There will be shalom because our Christ is alive. So let's love him, love others, and love place this week. Amen. Go in his peace.